everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you came. There's a lot more people in the room than when I sat down 10 minutes ago, but it's a happy holiday. Glad you joined us here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, my name is Amos. Did I say that? I always forget uh, once I get started talking. That's how I want to start, but then sometimes I get distracted. Uh, I would like to just begin this morning in prayer. So would you join me? God, there are times when we don't even know what to pray. And so we simply say, bring your kingdom. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Today we ask in particular that you would draw near to the families of the victims from Rob Elementary. We pray that you would have mercy on this country and that you would pour out your peace As First Peter will guide us today, help us to be people who seek and pursue real, godly peace. And this is only one thing we could pray about. We ask that you would pour out your love on this world. on all who are hungry and all who are thirsty. All who are angry and all who are afraid, draw near. Amen. So this morning, uh, my three-year-old Isla woke up at 8.30 on the dot, which was perfect because that's when I was going to wake her up. And she opens up the door and she says, Daddy, is today a church day? And I said, it is. And she said, who's my teacher? Because she's in the preschool room. I said, I think it's Eddie. Oh, I love Eddie. I'm going to give him a hug when I see him. And I think the other teacher is Sherry. Oh, I love her too. I'm going to give her a hug too. And so I just, I want to bless and affirm the importance of community, of having people who love you and support you and who love and support the kids uh, in the kids' wing. The, The investment is so meaningful. And so... We, we celebrate that, and we celebrate what God is doing here. 
And we're going to continue to look at First Peter and just plug in the best we can to the living hope that Peter describes. Uh, the hope that we have is for today. Whatever the circumstances are in your life, whatever the weight is that you carry, the hope is living. And in turn, we go out and live or embody the hope uh, in our everyday lives. So if you didn't bring a Bible, I would recommend that you go grab one from the back. I'm actually going to have you grab like a pen. And even if, you, even if it's a guest Bible, I'm going to say like circle some things. Uh, I don't know how many of you read your Bible in a regular way, but I find it helps me when I read my Bible to have a pen and of course, uh, it doesn't work so well if you do that on your iPhone. It, doesn't, it just doesn't seem to uh, do what I want it to. But if, if you have a paper Bible, that works out great. I'm going to invite up my friend Christy. She's going to read today's passage from 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, her reading with just a time of silence where you can turn your heart and attention to God, quiet your mind. So go ahead, Christy. Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven 
He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So we'll take just a minute in silence to remind ourselves that God is here and to reflect on what we just heard. So come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We're thankful that we can come and worship, that we can hear your words. We pray that you would do something in us today to help us to love more like you love. So you guys have your Bibles and your pens, or your pens, right, or pencils, I guess, if that's what you happen to have in your purse. Uh, there, there should be pens on the chairs. If you could just start by looking there at verse 8 and 9, circle those two verses. I'm guessing as Christy read, those words were profound, like there was a weight to them, uh, a power to them. The next verse that I would like you to circle is verse 11, where it says, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace and work to maintain it. I alluded that, alluded to that already today. Uh, and then if you have the NLTs here, flip the page and you'll see verse 14 that says, but even if you suffer for what is doing right, circle verse 14 and 15. And then let's just, while we're here, circle. Do you see the word hope there in verse uh, 15? And if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Just circle the word hope. That's the, the center uh, of at least the second section of what we've read or heard today and uh, a main theme of the entire book. Now, You'll jump down to that next paragraph, see verse 18. Christ suffered once for all of our all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Just circle all of verse 18. That's that paragraph. And finally, verse 22. Circle that too. 
And even though we're on two pages, that'll kind of help anchor us as we try to understand what Peter is saying here. Don't put the pins away yet, though, because we're going to do a little underlining and draw some arrows as well. So let me just remind you that this is not only part of a bigger book, but part of a bigger passage where Peter is encouraging people to live out their hope in Jesus in a world that does not accept them. So whenever you come with a claim about absolute truth, there will be resistance even if you live out that truth with absolute love. So what you have here in the early church is you have people who love Jesus and live sacrificially, serving the poor, the orphan, the widow, giving dignity to people who in the wider world are not shown dignity. Women and slaves are lifted up to have equal gifting, equal status in Jesus' kingdom. And so the dynamics of power that everyone is used to believing gets turned like upside down. Uh, there's passages, of course, in the Bible that say, like my power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And the only thing that really matters is that you've turned your life toward Jesus. It doesn't matter if you had rich parents or poor parents, powerful grandparents, whether your family line or your family money or your family reputation is good or evil. When it comes to belonging to Jesus' family and serving in Jesus' kingdom, it has everything to do with God's grace as you receive it in faith. And so Peter says to these early followers of Jesus, you are loved, first of all. That's the first thing that we always cling to when it comes to identity. Secondly, though, you are pilgrims. So this world is not your home. And if you look around and you feel like this isn't the way it's supposed to be, you're right. And that is, that is a word that is soaked with hope. To be a pilgrim says this reality this world with violence and grief and despair and anxiety doesn't feel like the way I was designed to live, but rather there is a heavenly home, a heavenly city that I look forward to. But as we live out this hope, the reality is that we are living as exiles. So Exiles in the Bible mean that you have a set of beliefs and values, but the dominant culture actually is antithetical to some of those beliefs and values. And so there's like a resistance or maybe you could say pressure for people who are trying to be faithful to Jesus and to live out the ways of his kingdom. Peter goes through a list of different types of people and how to actually live out this hope. So for instance, if you were to just scan backwards, it says, for the Lord's sake, chapter 2, verse 13, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state, so whether the president, 
whether you voted for him or not, nobody voted for the emperor. And the emperor at this time was a famous one or an infamous one. You remember who it is? Starts with an N. Nero is the emperor. He was one of the first great persecutors of Christians. And so even though he is corrupt, even though he is in many ways an embodiment of evil, uh, and many commentators think that he was probably also insane, uh, you submit to him. Now, the word submit can be misused or abused, but the, the main idea here is that you respect, honor, and serve with Jesus as our example. So to submit, honor, and serve the emperor doesn't mean that you do everything the emperor says, because as you see with other people living in exile, there are times where uh, the rub of the commands of the head of state, whether it be King Nebuchadnezzar or Emperor Nero, uh, doesn't jive with what it means to follow Jesus in an authentic way. And so there are times where the people of God stand up and say, no, I will not do that. And I am willing to suffer or even die if that's what it means. So respect, submit, honor, uh, serve the emperor. It says slaves, respect, honor, and serve your masters. To translate that into modern day context, like you respect, honor, and serve your boss, even if you have an, a boss who's unjust or who mistreats you. Uh, wives, you serve, honor, and respect your husbands, even if that husband isn't perfect. Now, again, the value of Jesus says that if your husband is violent towards you, is abusive towards you, you actually have uh, the freedom, you are empowered to stand up and say no and to remove yourself. Like that's, that's part of the, the freedom that following Jesus comes with because your emperor, your boss, your master, your wife, or your husband, because Peter here says... In the same way, husbands, honor your wives. Those are secondary uh, authorities in your life. Your first authority, your primary love, respect, and honor goes to Jesus. And so where Jesus says one thing and your boss, emperor, wife, or husband says something else, you go with Jesus. Now, when we're put under pressure, a lot of times we will default to these other lesser, you could call them gods, other lesser things that we put our hope into and, and start to live as if those things are our ultimate authority. So whether it's political or social, there are times where you're going to break from your party or break from your friend group and say, no, my first and greatest person in my life is Jesus, the King, the Messiah. And the message of Jesus being the Messiah is the rock on which we base our entire lives. So now, again, so as part of this train of thought, it's submit, Remember, to the emperor, submit to authorities, and then 
to all Christians, here is a way that we can live as pilgrims in exile. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. There's actually really only five descriptive words here in the original Greek language. So I want you to underline one mind, sympathize, love, tender-hearted, and humble attitude. Uh, if we put those words up there, you can maybe see it a little clearer. And I added a little nuance to the Greek because the English doesn't quite show you. But what do you notice about these five words? When they were read, you might think, oh, those are really nice words. But I want to show you here how they relate to one another. And ultimately, how these... One thing to notice is how many words are there? Five words lead us to bless those who curse us, to bless those who insult us. So maybe you want to underline the word blessing. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to, and he will grant you his blessing. Underline that blessing too. So what do you notice about these words? How do they relate? First thing to maybe notice is that they're an internal reality. They're things that happen inside you, whereas the blessing would be the external. So there's something that has to change, something that has to be transformed in each of us so that we can get to a place where we can bless no matter what, even if we're being insulted, even if we're being cursed, even if we're being treated with like evil intent. The next thing I want you to notice is, since there are five things, there's a middle word. Two above and two below, or two before and two after. See what the middle word is? Love. So what we have here is, I'll call it a theological sandwich. And you see this happen uh, a lot of times when you have Hebrew writers. Uh, Peter probably was the source material for the Gospel of Mark. And so in Mark, you have a lot of times a story with, with a break in it. So you'll start the story, and then you'll, Jesus will go off and do something else, and then it seems like that first part of the story will end. But what happens, what theological nerds call a Mark and sandwich, is you find that the middle of the theological sandwich is really the heart of what the point is. And so in this theological sandwich, not surprisingly, we find that love is the heart of what it means to live as pilgrims in exile. But if you want to start on the outside, let's start look at the bread with me for a second. What do these two things have in common? Well, maybe, maybe it's obvious. The word mind comes to us. The first word or the first idea, one mind, think of it as one mindset. And the last, to be of humble mind. These things relate, in a sense. So one of the smartest people I know goes to this church. The crazy thing about this person, you're all wondering, is he talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> Who is he talking about? Uh, 
The, the, the amazing thing about this like really smart, intelligent person is he is always learning. If you're in a conversation with this person, he will ask questions. If there is something to be learned, the person will go digging. Even though he's smarter than me, he's very curious at the same time. And so the idea of having one mindset and being humble of mind is, uh, is the intellectual space that we need to be in in order to love someone. In other words, there's a curiosity. We, by nature, think that we are right and have maybe not all the answers, but most of the answers. We believe that our positions are the right positions, whether that be politically, theologically, or relationally and what should happen in our marriage and how we do the dishes or how we raise our kids. Like we, I think, or maybe I should just say me by nature, I'm not very curious unless I am very intentional. And so the context for like really loving well starts with curiosity or humility. Remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned uh, one of the ways that we can live beautifully is if we stay calm stay connected, and stay curious. I think those words, if we go back to the last slide, kind of can be superimposed over the ideas shared with us here in 1 Peter chapter 3. To go another level deeper, the word sympathize and tenderhearted are both what? They're like feelings. To add a little nuance, sympathy is to feel uh, with someone. To feel sympathy is you're feeling what they're feeling with them. And to be tenderhearted is more of like, I, I feel for you. And so as we move closer to the center, we find there's, there's maybe a, a curiosity because I don't know the person's story. And if I listen long enough, I might better understand. And in understanding, maybe I'll start to, to feel a little bit with them and for them so that I can truly love them. So these, if we were to draw arrows toward the middle, like this is how we enter into love. Or if we want to start with love, how can I love someone? Well, show some empathy and do some listening. This internal state takes work because in the words of, uh, uh, shoot, I lost the name of, it's not Alcoholics Anonymous, it's Celebrate Recovery. We've all got hurts hang-ups, and habits that we fall back onto, especially when when we're put under pressure. The context here is that we are pilgrims living in exile, and in particular, we're being insulted. So I don't know what you did the last time you felt intellectually challenged or personally insulted or threatened. Maybe it was something you read on Facebook, or maybe it's something a coworker said, or maybe it's something someone from your family kind of just threw a little dart at you. But that's where we often default back into the habits of retaliation because we've been hurt and we get hung up on things. Uh, Maybe it's even our own pride that we get hung up on. And so it takes work, it takes self-reflection, it takes repentance, and it's a journey. It takes clinging to the identity that God loves us because you will screw up and you'll screw up again. 
but that doesn't change your status as beloved children of God. So these five things, you could draw an arrow down from love to blessing. The deal is here is that God has blessed us. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Don't think of it as an if I bless other people, then God will bless me. Think of, as it, think of it as a because God has blessed me, therefore I bless other people. Which blessing do you think is worth more? Your blessing other people or God blessing you? God blessing is worth a lot more than my blessing or your blessing. So actually, we got a pretty good deal. And you might think, well, but God wasn't insulted. God didn't suffer. God doesn't know the pain or the loneliness or the despair that I'm facing. Are you sure about that? Jesus went to the cross and people hurled their insults at him. And all of his friends abandoned him in his hour of greatest need. And he bled. Even before any nail got put through his hand, he bled in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the intense pressure that he was feeling. Because of the intense stress his body and soul was experiencing. And so just as God blessed us, we bless our enemies. And there are, there are ways that we bless people. Of course, one of the maybe most obvious or clearest ways is simply when people speak badly of us, we speak badly or speak well of them. When, when's the last time you blessed someone who attacked you? When's the last time you returned a kind word when you were given a harsh word? And then, even more telling is, when you went and talked to your friends about the encounter, what was coming out of your mouth? Was it blessing (laughs) or was it gossip? And so if we draw another arrow down, we can bless people in other ways than just words. We can bless them, well, in verse 11, as we turn from evil to do good, we search for peace. And peace in the Bible is much bigger than just a, I feel nice inside. Peace is about flourishing. Peace is about seeking the good of all people, of others, of the community, of the poor, of your neighbor, of your coworker. Peace doesn't just happen. Peace takes searching, the word is, and then working to maintain it, or you actually... The, the better literal translation is you seek it and then you pursue it. You find it and then you chase it. And so it takes effort. You pour yourself out. Turn the page and jump to verse 14. But if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Let's underline, worship Christ as Lord. That's the message. Remember, that's the foundation. Jesus is our ultimate 
king or Lord. We submit to him. We love him because he first loved us, but he is our first love. And so there's a couple things just to notice uh, about this passage. The first is that if you thought that loving Jesus or living a godly life would mean that you would be healthy and wealthy, you thought wrong. (laughs) The promise is not that if you live a morally good life and come to church every week and give money to your church that you'll have an easy life. The promise is that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. That he will give you a hope that can withstand any and all circumstances. Insult and injury and despair and anxiety. The promise is that you will have hope like an anchor that can withstand the greatest of all storms. And it says here in verse 15, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And I don't know about you, but I had a t-shirt that said something along those lines when I was a teenager. Always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so like we read a couple weeks ago, there is an evangelistic or there is the idea that as you live, that your life will be unique and distinct and people will notice you or they'll notice Jesus in you so that when Jesus returns, they'll be like, oh, Jesus actually reminds me of someone where in reality, it's, it's the other way around. You're pointing to Jesus. And then you're, you'd be ready to explain the way, the reason that your hope has endured, even in the worst of circumstances. Now, this can be misapplied. Sometimes people think this means I need to have any answer to any question that people might have about Christianity or what I believe. That's not actually what it's saying here. It's not saying give a defense against any accusation. It says give the reason for your hope. Now, for us to be able to give a reason for the hope, we have to have two things. We have to know it, but I think we also have to experience that hope. Not that one time 10 years ago, but recently. Like if you have not experienced, if you have not put your fingers into the hope that Jesus has offered, if you haven't felt it, It's time to invite it to return. But let's start with the knowing. Uh, Draw a little arrow from the word hope down to verse 18, which you already circled, and over to verse 22. The content, the, the, uh, the knowledge of this hope. First of all, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And if you were to look at, uh, I think it's Romans 6, it's certainly in the book of Romans, Paul says it is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you. That's why the hope is alive. Not because you think about it every day, although that would help. It's because God is alive. And his spirit is alive. And so the hope inside you is alive. 
And over to verse 22, now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So even though it may look like Caesar is sitting on the throne or death is sitting on the throne or violence is sitting on the throne or guilt is sitting on the throne, the hope we have points us to the reality that Jesus sits on the throne and that because he suffered and died for us, he is going to bring us safely home. Jesus says to his disciples very near to his death, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so, the invitation today is to hope, to know it, but also to let it live inside of you. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up, but I'm also going to ask you a question. When's the last time you had someone lay hands and pray for you? Like, put a hand on your shoulder and speak God's blessing, speak God's hope into your life. I, I find myself from time to time, there are seasons where I carry a lot of weight and can find myself feeling despair. Uh, and I don't even notice it until I sit and reflect on how I'm feeling or what has happened. I just like get unmotivated and down, but I, I don't even necessarily know why. It just seems like, oh, I'm having a bad day or whatever. Uh, and this happened to me in church planting when we were in Michigan a long time ago. And it was helpful to have people who were doing something like me that I could share with. And we would share stories and be like, oh yeah, life is really hard right now. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe you have a therapist or a friend that you just say, I'm really lonely. But you know what's better than telling someone you're lonely? It's having a friend. <laughs> it's better to have a friend than to have someone to tell that you're like to, to pay someone to say I am lonely. And it is better to feel the living hope inside of you than to simply know that there is something to hope for. And so while I had a group of friends that in, in church planting, I could say, you know, man, this is hard. Like, I don't even know if what I'm doing matters. I had a group of vineyard friends who didn't necessarily understand in the same way because they were in established churches and the other group was all church planting. They maybe didn't understand the same way that the other group did, but you know what they would do for me? They would say, can I pray for you right now? Can I take my hand and put it on my shoulder? And I'm going to pray what God brings to my mind. And there would be freedom in that. There would be hope in that. There would be healing in that. Because what I needed most and what you need most is to experience the living hope of God. And so I want to invite everyone to stand. 
But I also want you to think about what I asked a minute ago. When's the last time you had someone lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you? If you can't remember the last time, I think it would be good for you to raise your hand. So what we're going to do is we usually only do, like only do, we, we typically do prayer at the end of the service and we'll say, come forward and receive prayer. What we're going to do now is we're actually going to uh, say to everyone in the room, you can pray for someone near you. And if you're someone who hasn't received prayer in a while, if you realize the hope that I want is not the hope that I have, that I'm experiencing, I want you to raise your hand. If you find yourself wishing for more of God, but not experiencing God, I would invite you to raise your hand. And so again, don't overthink it. If you haven't had someone pray for you in the last month, raise your hand. And so if you see someone's hand raised and you know how to pray, <laughs> uh, go to them and find them. I'm commissioning you. What's, what you're going to do is you're simply going to say, hey, I, I'm Amos, I'm here to pray for you. Tell me what I can pray for you about. And if it's like I just thought I wanted some prayer, uh, the pastor told me to raise my hand and so I did it. Just say, that's cool. I'm going to just pray a blessing on you. I'm going to pray that you experience God's hope. So every, turn around. I know you're all facing me. Turn around. There's people in the back with their hands up. Uh, keep your hand up until someone comes and prays for you. got a few friends uh, in the back right corner there if you're looking for someone to pray for. And so we're just going to give this a few minutes with little music in the background. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to say, come Holy Spirit. It's not too late to raise your hand if you want prayer for something. Someone here in the front. Maybe, I, this, I know this is a little strange, but it's a holiday weekend, and so we're, we're just pressing into being strange. Maybe you've never come to the place of, you know what? I've put my hope in things that have failed me. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, Star Wars and how Princess Leia says, save me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Maybe you need to say today for the first time publicly, Actually, Jesus is my only hope. All the other things I've hoped for aren't going to give me what I need. And so raise your hand if that is you. Raise your hand if you would like prayer for anything at all. And if, if you're just chilling out, spend some time inviting God's Spirit to come into your own heart and life. Come Holy Spirit. We turn our hearts to you.
Jesus, bring your kingdom. So we're going to move into a time of worship, but that doesn't mean that the praying has to stop. So you can continue the prayers as long as you need, and if it gets too loud and it feels like it's just not done and you can't hear each other, you can, you know, grab someone and there's couches and there's tables and, you know, you can relocate to the lobby, but we're going to spend some time worshiping Jesus. And so my prayer for us all is that as we worship that God would draw near us. Psalm 34 says God draws near to the brokenhearted. He lifts up those who are crushed in spirit. And we worship Jesus because he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He can hear us. He is pleased by our words. His love overflows in our direction. So let's sing. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.